Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So good afternoon and welcome to Love the Words here from Studio 2 in Chapel FM Art Centre. It's the second Love the Words of the new season. And uh, in a minute we're going to be hearing from Julia Deakin, the poet, also editor of the very worthy, long-standing and wonderful Pennine platform. Uh, And Julia will tell us about that in a bit. And she's got three lovely poets here in the studio who she will also introduce you to. Before we get going, I just wanted to give this piece of information out if you hadn't heard about it. The Northern Short Story Academy. Applications for 2020-2022 are open until the 7th of October 2022. I'm going to read out what they say about themselves. It's, it's a really, really interesting organisation if any of these poets here in the, in, the, in the studio are short story writers as well. This might be for you. The Academy is a developing programme aimed at helping and supporting short story writers resident in any part of the north of England, even Manchester, that is, Michael, as defined by the Arts Council, who've already shown serious commitments to short story writing. They want to help and support to develop their work further. There's a commitment of attending workshops over you know, seven sessions, but they're a really brilliant organisation been going a while so yeah 7th of October you've got until you have to uh, that's the deadline for submitting applications so we've got about 45 50 minutes of this program the first of the afternoon this Tuesday and I'm going to hand over to Julia hello Julia hello Peter thank you great to be here again this is our third session in this studio the magazine Pennine platform and I have Poets and contributors to the latest issue, 91, here with me. And first, I'd like to talk to Alison O'Brien, who um, was, we hoped, going to be with us in the earlier session, uh, earlier editions, uh, but she's here now, and we are all very keen to know, all the readers and contributors to Pennine Platform, uh, about your photographic practice because you have um, been the cover photographer for uh, the last seven issues and they are all stunning pictures which poets notwithstanding sell the magazine so over to you Alison please tell us a bit about how these came about and your photographic practice Hi everyone, and thanks for that, Julia. That's really nice of you. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure to work on Pennine Platform because opposed to having a commission, Julia's left me to be quite free about what I've presented. The images for Pennine Platform are a combination of fine art projects that I worked upon. Now, the very first one, um, I, I it was a bit of a... Uh, it's not a shot, it's not a lie, but um, it looks like it's Yorkshire. It isn't. It's Georgia in the Caucasus. Uh, this was uh, a project, uh, this was a commission for a German gentleman to take photographs of his very wealthy vineyard. Unfortunately, the war was going on at the time, so I did a lot of wandering around. This door that you see on the cover of this first magazine was just a door in the middle of nowhere leading to who knows where. 
But it was quite a sad image and not one that I'd been commissioned to take, so I happily stole it. And talking about stealing things and um, with, again, I got another great shot thanks to a German family. I'm working on a project. This is number 86 of Pennine Platform. This is the next one. And it's of ghostly apparitions moving up a stairwell. Well, these aren't ghostly apparitions. These are German tourists. Now, this site was actually the Necromantian of Ephra uh, in Greece. And it's part of a project I've been doing based on the poet George Surtees called Mythostreamer. Now, the Necromantian of Ephora is where priests in ancient Greece would tell people what their fortune was going to be. They would go to the priest with a few questions, drink some toxic substances, and then wait for a vision to appear. The vision would appear via priests dangling puppets to these people who were under the influence of narcotics. Now, thankfully... The, a German family went up the stairwell just as I was taking a long exposure, which gave the impact of ghosts and spirits, which is what the devotees may possibly have seen at the time. Now, what interests me about the poetry, especially in the, this collection, the recent collection, number 91, is that a lot of poems that are featured and a lot of poetry talks about absence and ghosts. And also, like Jake, talks about ghosts. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's really fascinating. So that was the story of that one. Thank you, German tourists. What I have to say is that these German tourists thought I was um, just there to show them how to walk across the ground. I had to light the floor for them. So I thought, right, I'll get one back on you and I'll use you for a photograph. So uh, another one I, I wanted to talk about, the theme of haunting and absence and love that goes throughout poetry. And when I was a child, one of the first poems I came across was by Walter Delamere, The Listeners. And it, it really fired me off at the age of seven. And I was always thinking about The Listener and, and you know, the man turning up at a, on his horse, looking up at this empty house and the notion of ghosts. So one of the projects, I was doing a photo project along with who... Am I when I'm at home, which is a very northern phrase, who are you when you're at home, was um, to, to, to do with a friend of mine who's a carpenter, and his home, he has a workshop, and downstairs was this doll's house, which looked like the landscape to me of the Yorkshire Moors and the haunted house and the listeners. So I thought, I'll take that as a landscape the Yorkshire Moors, but also to echo that ghostly feeling that you get. And I think with poetry, it's almost like you're looking in and you're looking for something, and it's not always explicit. You kind of, in that, um, you know, almost like pathetic fallacy thing, a mood can be created through weather, or as Eliot liked to say, the objective correlative where you create a series of things, you put things together and it creates an emotion. Like a lot of the poetry that's included in Pennine Platform, the cleverness is the way in which each word next to each other 
creates something like a gap that the kind of reader, the listener can interpret. Like the spectator, when the spectator's viewing an image, you can put something of yourself into it rather than a static, you know. And that's what I like when you look for the punctum, when you look for that bit like you know when you go to poetry readings and somebody's reading a poem and then the whole audience goes "Ooh, ah because they've got this sense of punctum something's moved them incredibly and I think that's what I look for in my photographic practice I look for something where somebody will go oh I'm moved and uh, and I'm curious what's that about and I think in these um in this collection, and I'll just go to the last one because the poets who are with me today uh, and the editor, this is a glorious collection and it's very haunting. It's quite spine-tingling, a lot of the poetry in here. The death, the absence, the lost loves, the families. There's also some sensual aspects. And uh, when I gave this photograph uh, to Julia, I was actually thinking of the poet um, Anne Sexton and it's, it's a love poem, a confessional poem. And I think her last line in it is it's something like, I'm a watercolour and I wash away. And as a lot of my photographic practice is influenced by painting because I studied painting, um, I wanted that feeling of a watercolour that washes away, but you're left with a sense of. And I was happy to read that in one of the poems... Um, there is a kind of um, mention of a kind of, of colours, uh, um, washing away of dreams and psychoanalysis and meaning. And it's, it's just wonderful. So I hope that um, um, makes some sense. Um, if I've got any time, I'll tell you about the teddy bears of Mussolini in Italy. But that's for a later date. Oh, well... It's great, of course, to talk about photographs on the radio. What better subject? And um, if you actually want to see some of Alison's wonderful photographs, then I'm afraid you'll have to buy the magazine. But she's given us a very good taste. And what I um, like about them and what I choose um, for the magazine is photographs with a depth of field. And um, I generally like ones without a human figure on because that gets culturally specific and exclusive, whereas um, uh, any kind of scene, interior or exterior, or indeed the abstracts, which Alison does so brilliantly, um, can evoke a, a, a wider range of emotions. And that punctum that she talked about, that gasp, that we hope a good work of art, whether it's a photograph or a poem, uh, will produce uh, is usually a, a, a great way of flagging up uh, a collection of new poetry. So we do actually have some poets here to read to you and that may come across uh, equally well. So I'm turning now to Michael Burton who has uh, a poem in this and it's his first poem for Pennine Platform. So welcome Michael, hope we will have you on board for a good while. Uh, read us your poem please. Yeah, thank you, thank you Julia. Um, so my poem is called <clears throat> Guessing the news in the local paper on the walk home from the supermarket. Oddly today, 
I begin with the workplace accident of the week, the occupation of the worker to have fallen and from what height. If a bone has been broken or if stitches were needed, how many people were there to witness the event, how the boss described the pristine condition of the ladder used. Next, I move on to crime, one violent, one petty and needless. A drunken ten-man brawl in a petrol station forecourt and the smashing of a stained glass window in a Baptist church. I guess the words used by the constables at each scene. Mindless, reckless, thoughtless, brainless, thugs. I chance my arm at the light-hearted item in the middle sections where a sheep is sure to feature in some capacity. This week's perhaps wandered into the butcher's shop or possibly a barber's if that's not been done before. What's certain is that it will have rammed its way in. Normally now, I predict the results of the cricket and football matches, but this morning, I know I will not reach these pages. Already, I can see myself sprawled asleep an hour from now, the paper half-lit in the noontime sun across my chest, the faded siren of next week's news never loud enough to wake me. I was intrigued by that poem partly because reading a paper, a hard copy of a paper, is something that's dying out. So it was refreshing to hear that somebody still actually walks to the supermarket and buys a paper, if that is you and not a persona mm. that you were adopted. Do you want to tell us a bit more about, about the poem, please? Yeah, well, I, I wrote it at a time when I, was, I moved back um, to Bake Up, the town where I'm from, for a short period of time. And um, I was before that I was living in a huge city in, in Beijing, in China, actually, which is much, much bigger than Bake Up. I, I think you'll agree. And um, so one of the things I did actually enjoy about going back to Bake Up was reading the local paper because what makes news in a, in a small town is it's, it's quite nice. It's quite sweet, and it's um, and also not all sweet exactly, but it's nice to know to be in a place where such small things make the news. You know. I have to say I envisaged an elderly and portly person speaking this poem, so it was quite a surprise to, to, uh, to meet you. <laughs> um, and we also have with us uh, Jake, Dorothy, and uh, he is, uh, she, they, sorry, they are not so far away from us in York, and this is very much a poem situated in York, uh, which resonated with me as I spent 10 years living there, uh, and the, the poem is addressing the... Uh, the place of tourists in York as opposed to the place of residence. So, Jake, please. Great, thank you for having me. Okay, buying a ghost. We will arrive, car loaded, lug crates up seven flights of stairs, peer round the room set to be our new home, unpack books onto unfamiliar shelves. We will spend a night with no food in the cupboards, order pizza, Stay up late making sense of new spaces, birthing possibilities into the untold landscapes of our lives. The next day we will wake early and stalk dark medieval streets, chasing history in our footsteps, wishing to be guided by something beyond ourselves. Reach fingers out to graze York stone, frame these moments with low wooden beams. 
we will crouch in cornered nooks, shoulder to shoulder with merchants of ink, paper, prayers, wool. We will buy a ghost, then spend the afternoon laughing, camera out, climbing rusted steam trains. Later, we will return to the home we are carving out of thin air. Our phantom will join the books, grow used to the shelves, haunt us quietly into the future. Tell us more about how that came about, please. Uh, so that was written uh, at the point where I'd been accepted onto a PhD programme in York, knew that my wife and I would be moving there uh, from where we were living in Kendall. And at that point, we'd only been to York for the day um, and seen a shambles, which is uh, the, the shop that sells the uh, the mentioned ghost and uh, does incredibly well business wise now mm. with a queue stretching down the entire street. Um, and uh, and so at the time, the sense of what my PhD was going to involve was still quite vague um but we had a sense of the place we we're moving to and that's what i wanted to capture that sense of a possibility grounded in the things that i knew to expect what i liked about this poem was the fact that you wrote about ghosts which for me is a no-no word in poems quite often it's easy to 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 get a ghost into a poem but to do it well in this rather uh, oblique way this surprising way of buying a ghost as a souvenir was um, wasn't something i had seen before and um it was a nice surprise as well coming from you because you hadn't um published in Pennine platform before. I don't know how much po poetry you have published before. Indeed, this is my my first poem. That's I thought published. it might be, yes. and uh, great. That's I'm I'm honoured to have been the first, and I hope it's the first of many. Um, I do like the idea that people will uh, feel confident in submitting to us and getting help if they need it with uh, the direction in which to take their poems if they are not quite uh, of a publishable standard and we do have uh, very very high standards uh, we are a, a, a magazine which takes poetry seriously but as you will see from the uh, range of tones that doesn't mean that we uh, are only looking for serious poems it's the the artistic intent which uh, needs to be fully engaged with and explored and I, I felt you had worked hard on that poem and uh, arrived at a simplicity a de deceptive simplicity I think sometimes people feel that they need to sound too clever on the page uh, and it is harder to write a simple poem in the end so I loved that and as I say it resonated with me I have seen those ghosts although I never bought one <laughs> have you still got it Oh, yes, absolutely. I wouldn't it's, queue again. Well, so no, I, of course. I'd better it, keep it. That, that, that ghost has, um, has brought you, uh, has brought you uh, into publication, into print, so it's obviously very benign. Let's turn now to um, uh, a poem by uh, Liz Barrett, 
who we had hoped would join us today, but um, if she comes in later, uh, that will be wonderful. But I will read a poem of hers. Um, Elizabeth has three poems in this, and she is a, a, a very experienced poet, so she's uh, widely published already, and again, it was an honour to include three of hers. I think it was the first time she had submitted to us, so... I'm going to read Prodigal, which refers to the picture by Rembrandt, The Prodigal Son, which you can find online. Prodigal. Notice, the guide says, how tenderly Rembrandt paints this slipped-off shoe. The prodigal kneels before the father, his left sole exposed, an empty sandal fallen between his fallen knees. The father's hands reach out from beneath a thick red shawl. I am still waiting for my child to come home. I try to imagine the bow of her back beneath my hands, the press of her head against my chest. While I wait, I wear the clothes she left, an organic cotton coat in black from H&M a long blue sweater with a cartoon cat crouching on the rib, some walking boots, size five. Today, her tow-bar sandals, Sienna Brown. I am a six. All morning they have been pinching me, abrading my heels. As I kneel on the gallery floor, lift my eyes to the Father for his blessing, the left strap slips from my foot. Now, if Elizabeth is able to make it later, we will perhaps talk to her about her poems. But for now, I think we will perhaps return to Alison for a few more um, insights into her work. Hi. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, thank you. I was going to explain uh, a couple of the other images. One of the things that uh, always intrigues me and intrigues a lot of people uh, is the idea of portals and doors. Like I said, in the in the first Pennine platform that I did, it was a door with a brick wall around it in the middle of nowhere with fields behind. And uh, as part of the Greek project that I mentioned earlier on, Methostrema, um, one of the places I went to in Greece was where Mussolini had a house commissioned. Now, he had this house commissioned, and it's still there. You can wander around. There's no health and safety or whatever. But unfortunately, this amazing house, he, he never saw it. But in ruins, as it is, there are doorways everywhere. And in several doorways, they have teddy bears that are hanging. And I said to somebody, what are these about? And they pointed and went, Mussolini because Mussolini was hung. So that was a nice gloomy aspect to it, but he never saw the property and it looks like something out of Hollywood. And um, so also the, in terms of how I create the images and what I'm thinking about when I, when I frame them, it's usually something that has been informed by my interest, like I said, in painting, but also psychoanalysis, that what we see is 
not necessarily what's there and what we say isn't necessarily what's there, like in, in the poems. Like earlier on, we are having a discussion, one of the poets and myself, about his poem, and we were saying about how I had understood the meaning to be uh, about death, death at the end in a kind of proof rock, elderly sort of way. And he said, oh, no, I, that's not quite how I went. And that's what I love poetry. And that's why I love photography, for, for those kind of double meanings. But um, in terms of other projects that I've been working on, the one which I mentioned, Who Are We When We're At Home, is that with a poem, that you, you, you're creating almost a room. Um, as uh, Roland Barthes said in Camera Lucida, uh, the camera in French is chambre, which is room. Stanza in Italian means room. And I went round the rooms of lots of people, elderly people, young people, to see if there are any commonalities, why cre people create a poetic environment, which they do. And one of the things I'll share with you is that a lot of single elderly ladies have a huge thick novel by their fire in the front room with a copy of the Radio Times. The amount of hmm. times that I saw that hmm. in widowers' houses was amazing. Very interesting. And, and you have to be prepared to sometimes hear things that you don't imagine. Because as you're going through people's homes, you see how they decorate. I've been to a three, few poets' houses as well, and absolute chaos, I will say <laughs> that. There were chaos, and wonderful chaos. But um, speaking to an elderly lady about how tidy her home was, she did say to me, well... I don't have anything to do because I wake up at um, one o'clock in the morning and I tidy up. And I said, oh, right, well, it's very good. It looks wonderful. And she said, yes, but um, I'd rather just kill myself. And I thought, oh, there's an answer to domestic <laughs> bliss. Um, but And it's often in these very banal photographs or some banal photographs I've taken. Also in some poetry, like Julia said, the simplicity. In the banality you can sometimes really find the punctum. Mm. Like uh, uh, the poet who hopefully will turn up, uh, Mrs Barrett, <laughs> is that, you know, she talks about a shoe lay, or the shoe, as Julia pointed out. Simple things and the banalness of a shop. Like in, in her poem she mentions H&M, the shop. And it's things like that that really wound you. Like in the middle of grief, things can seem so ordinary. How can things be ordinary when mm. something so massive has happened? Mm. And I think that's, that's something I love in this collection, mm. Mm. that you, you've managed to put these together, Julia. Thank you. Um, well, I'd like to include some poems from the uh, other poets, and we have each... Uh, chosen and been spoilt for choice indeed uh, poems that we would like to read from this so Michael um, would you like to read a poem by uh, one of the other contributors please yeah I'd love to um, so there's quite a lot again that I'd, I'd like to read but I've, I've chosen one by um, a poet Rosie Jackson and the, the poem is called In a Cold Place In a Cold Place Prayer got dad through most things like that day, he was trapped in the freezer at work, shoulder to shoulder with fatted calves and sugar pink pigs who dangled by their trotters, the hairs on their ears hard as, 
as tufts of icy grass in winter. Surely he gave thanks when some unlikely angel, a blooded workmate at the abattoir, came to rescue him. Surely he dreamt in that place of implacable coldness, of his wife, two kids, the half-life he'd always lived, as something all at once precious, warm, full of such possibilities he promises, nay swears on his soul. If he's allowed to return, he will find the courage to run towards, tenderly manhandle. And what drew you to that poem particularly? Um, well, it's, it's, I think it's got great imagery. Um, the, the beginning is particularly takes you this all these the the fatted calves and the and the pigs and the ice icy grass in winter it's, it's very visual rich. isn't it and yeah, it's surprising it's as well a, a, mm. a very tender poem mm. about the speaker's father but he worked in an abattoir and mm. those two ideas to hold those two in your head are um, is an experience really as a reader and, yeah. and to realize that um that the, the tenderness can, can come through and the speaker senses uh, his uh, deeper feelings. Mm. So, There's a brutality and sweetness mm, to it at the same time, so mm. it's got a lot going on. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Another tender poem uh, Jake has chosen, um, Brothers in Arms, Jake? Yeah, so this is uh, by Belinda Rimmer. Brothers in Arms. My father always held my brother's one on each arm to raise them from the ground, years after they'd grown to men. There was nothing of me back then but bone, yet he never held me, dizzy and don't look down the way he held them, which seems to matter more now than it did then. That's one of the shortest poems and the most one of the most powerful, I think, in this edition. How did you feel about it? Uh, I think what struck me about it was a a kind of sense of injustice almost, uh, you know, and that kind of sibling relationship and parental relationship um, that's, that's, that's tender in the sense that it's only really upon reflection that that the the well the, the speaker uh, don't don't know if it's uh, the author necessarily, but that the speaker uh, kind of attributes to those past experiences. Mm. Mm. Also, a, a poet we haven't published before, Belinda. If you're listening, oh, and happy birthday, by the way. I think it's Belinda's birthday today. Um, and um, so, I would like to add a poem. Oh, but did you have something that? Oh no, we're going to return to that later, aren't we? Yes, I'm going to read a poem, which is the last in the collection, and by one of our younger contributors which goes back to the um, ekphrastic the, the, the a poem in response to art or talking about art and it's by Ruth Yates and it's called From Your Grandchild Here I am drawing you after you taught me to draw You said draw what you see not what you think you see and I'm still drawing what I think I see. You are sitting at the table, feeding Sam something, and you are smiling. 
Maybe for the love of your dog. Maybe because your wife is taking a photo of you. Or because I am here, years later, drawing you for the first time. And we have a number of other poems uh, lined up, but I liked that because, uh, and as I say, it's, it's very simple, and yet it has, like Alison's photos, a depth of field. It invites us to take several different um, standpoints uh, at varying distances in both uh, time and space from the original subject, which is now a memory. Here I am drawing you after you taught me to draw. And I think, again, we do receive a lot of poems by grandparents about grandchildren uh, and quite a lot of poems about grandparents. It's a, a time-honoured uh, genre, if you like, and therefore the competition is so strong to say something new about these favourite topics. And 99% of poems on those subjects, I'm afraid, are not saying anything new, except to the speaker, and they are worth writing on a, a, a you know, and as personal artefacts, but they're not going to really cut it. Uh, among the uh, rest of uh, the the published work and publishing world. So um, let's go back now to uh, Michael. You had a, another poem you were going to read? Um, yeah. Um, sorry. Um, the, yeah, the, poem, the second poem I was going to read, is, it's called... Um, TV dinners. Um, so, this is by Steve Harrison. Steve Harrison, yeah. Uh, sorry, just found it. Yeah, Steve Harrison. So, TV dinners by Steve Harrison. Jamie Bosch's ambitious to make his dishes. Fingers squeezed, lemon halves, rough hand measures, mock cockney cookery. Batman with a blowtorch, zapping and powing, no master chef fiddling, just craftily piled up pucker plates for his gang of starving mucker mates. Nigella oozes comfort from stove to table, sticky. Juassants in a Saatchi gallery kitchen, somewhere in soft focus, eager friends and family, all paper-hatted, glass table crackered, king prawns battered, their starters for ten as hubby awaits his just desserts. But Nigel, slowly caramelising into Alan Bennett, raids the fridge for yesterday's leftovers, rustles something up off the cuff from the bone, and as TV crews salivate into microphones, eats his dinner by himself watching Home Alone. I thought that was very well handled. And um, as, a, as a, a poem, formally tight and bringing us something which is already entertaining, entertaining subject matter, although I'm, I'm not 
a watcher of TV cooks, but I recognised all these uh, distinctive types. But what Steve added was um, a lot of fun with the language, a, a, um, a, lang a linguistic felicity which lived up to and complements the delight which these uh, presenters have in their uh, respective uh, cooking shows. Now can we turn again to you, Jake? Uh, another poem you chose which was a great favourite of mine and I was really hoping somebody would read it. Yes, so this is uh, by Alison Campbell. Uh, it's called This Is How You Do It. She sits with me at the kitchen table, chewing her meat and cabbage in front of me. One mouthful, two, as if that is the only lesson I need. I look at her, the cold wad of food lying on my tongue, my legs dangling from the chair. I know I am not going to chew, let alone swallow. I watch her lips going round in large circles, and I try not to cry. My still mouth does not satisfy her. Just try, love, try. What can I do? I want to give her something back. I lower my face push the food neatly from my mouth, hand it back to her. You have it, Mum. Great. Tell us more about that. Did that strike a chord with you? I, I particularly enjoyed this in that uh, it's probably an experience all of us have had and none of us remember. Yes. Um, it's, a, it's a very unique uh, position to kind of read a poem from and I really enjoyed that about it. <laughs> yes, I did. It was familiar, yes, that chewing with such difficulty and your parents urging you to eat it. But you're right, we probably all did it and can't remember. So that poem really surprises. Um, so now um, there is uh, a little more time. Sadly, we don't have uh, Liz with us. Um, I should just say that the poet's here in case anybody is sitting, any contributors are sitting, listening, thinking, why wasn't I invited? The poets here um, are here um, because I really had to choose people who would be able to or likely to be able to get here. So they are all from this region. But we do have contributors from as far afield as New Zealand, America, uh, not in this issue, but I think the preceding issue, we had um, a contributor from New Zealand, Australia and Canada and Europe sometimes. So um, uh, I would just stress if you are thinking of uh, submitting to Pennine Platform, now is the the time, the reading month, we do get far more submissions from older white men and I want to keep a balance. I do know that life encroaches on uh, women particularly and it can be hard for them to find, to carve out the time to, to not only write poems but actually send them off. So uh, um, if you're sitting there thinking, well I've got a few, um, do uh, 
send them in. The details are on the website. And, uh, yeah, we do particularly welcome um, submissions from uh, women and uh, younger people from all ages and backgrounds and uh, non-binary contributors. It's um, very inclusive and... um, (coughs) I think um, we do at the moment get about 10 times as many submissions. At this stage in the month, I have 10 times more submissions from men than I have from others. So um, uh, please, uh, let's um, keep that balance if we can. Um, Now then, there's... uh, Anybody want to sort of add anything to what they've uh, said or ask anything about the magazine while we're, while we're here in person or the the covers? Uh, so I'm interested in uh, how long you've been at the helm editing. Uh, three years, yes. This is going to be the uh, eighth issue and uh, everyone throws up a new problem. <laughs> but also a, a new batch of poems, which it's a great delight and a privilege to to uh, bring to light. I absolutely love that, uh, and and I I hugely enjoy that side of the work. So um, yeah, the previous editor Nicholas Bealby uh, was in place for twenty years. I can't quite see myself. Um, staying that long but I'll do my best Michael you were going to say something I was just going to ask um, so people who are wanting to submit are there certain themes that attract you or certain um, styles of poems or no I hope it's clear that I'm very very open to uh, to anything and everything so long as it is well crafted and it is it brings some kind of surprise something new that is that is hard. Also, I should mention that we are A5 format, so um, if it fits nicely on an A5 page, uh, that will uh, stand you in better stead. Alison, you were going to say something. Uh, yeah, Julia, can you tell me about uh, the editorial? At the beginning of each um, collection, uh, there's a wonderful statement by yourself. Tell me how you do this, if you would. I wish I knew, Alison, because I panic every time. <laughs> every time every issue comes up, I have no idea at the start when I'm putting it together what I am going to uh, focus on for the editorial, and um, it freaks me out. And then somehow it, it, it falls into place, uh, or it has done so far. Uh, luckily, and I, I do try and um, uh, relate it to current events. Also, I think it helps me to have an image of the poet of the cover and uh, to know what the issue uh, comprises. So I never write it until it's all together. Um, uh, but then somehow, subconsciously, um, so far the it is all gelled and i've managed to uh write something which is uh topical and yes alison again and i'm just saying uh about your editorial and i just wanted to put this quote in because you know you're encouraging people to send in mm. to you and mm. i think it's a fabulous quote by miklos radnati and the quote is it was in 1944 on the way to his murder i write 
What else can I do? A poem is dangerous. And if you only knew how one whimsical, delicate line, even that takes courage. I thought that was wonderful that you'd put that in, Julia. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, yeah, I would echo that wonderful quote and I'm very much encouraged to read your introductions, Julia, because I've just read a couple of paragraphs and they're fantastic. So I think, yeah, it's been lovely to have Pennine Platform here again. Um, and thank you, Julia, for introducing these poets to us and to, uh, to Chapel FM. Do come again and do, uh, yeah, feel free to take, come tune into Writing on Air or Love the Words whenever you can. <laughs> so uh, that's the end of Love the Words this week. Um, back next week at the same time. Thank you so much to Henry, who is on the desk. Oh, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, any f final thoughts about how you get hold of Pennine Platform, Julia? If you go on the website, uh, penineplatform.com, uh, all the details are there. And, uh, yeah, so look forward to hearing from you. And it's also in one or two bookshops. The best. In the best bookshops. Great. And, and also, yeah, do... Um Yes, if, 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 you, uh, if you have enjoyed this programme, tell people about Love, uh, Love the Words and uh, wing the links around its podcast as well. You can always find them, uh, 189 of them. Can I just give a quick plug to my bookshops who are lovely? Reed in Home Firth, Limestone Books in Settle and Salts Mill in Salt Air. Thank you all for your support. Thank you very much, Julia. Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Quando eu canto, e